what right has anyone got to say to someone, whether they know them or not, that something that they are aiming to do, they are not going to achieve? And in some ways, back then, that spurred me on. Welcome back, lovely people, to Head Right Out. I am so excited to be back. It's the 2nd of May 2022 as I'm recording this and it feels like it's been months and months and months since I have chatted to you, but actually it hasn't. It's been just a few weeks and I am really excited that I'm back with season three and season three has a theme it's all about the Wales Coast Path. So 10 years ago, on the 5th of May 2012, the Wales Coast Path officially opened. So I am really privileged today to have a very special guest. Her name is Ari Kane. She was the first to run not just the Wales Coast Path, but all around the perimeter of the country. She, in effect, opened the path. Now, following a morning last Thursday, filming with ITV Wales at Clantwick Major, along with Ari, about the opening of the Wales Coast Path, we took a little bit of time for ourselves at Dufferin Gardens in South Wales, and we did a spontaneous recording there. We had planned to do the Head Right Out podcast chat a couple of weeks before, but I'd had some internet problems. so. Yes, we decided to sit and do it in the gardens. I asked Ari about the inspiration behind the challenge of running all around Wales. I asked her about the nutrition side of things and the planning and particularly the impact the run had had on Ari's life across the past 10 years. Ari shared really honestly about her struggle with the naysayers and those who simply didn't see how she how she fitted into their expectations of how a runner should look. Now 10 years on the adventure Ari is back and so I'll leave her to reveal where the resurgence of her running mojo is going to take her this year. The recording is outside, so there will be additional guest appearances from passers-by, the local congregation of birds, and a very tame Robin, who we nicknamed Robin of Dufferin. Let's go and chat to Ari Kane. Okay, what's the date today? I have not got a blooming clue. <laughs> I think it could be the 27th or 28th. I think it's the 28th. 28th. There we go. So it's Thursday the 28th of April and I am sat in front of a, looks like an Italian sunken garden type pond in the grounds of Dufferin House in South Wales near Cardiff and I am sat with the inimitable Ari Kane and most of you who know me will know that Ari was 
part of our inspiration to walk the Wales Coast Path. And I am so delighted that here in this 10th anniversary year of the opening of the Wales Coast Path, that she has agreed to come and chat to me. Welcome, Ari. Hello. <laughs> and we've got a robin that sat right next to you. He's a big, fat, chunky robin, and he's looking really hopeful. What an opportunist. Hi. Hi. Oh, I'm Ooh. Robin of Dufferin. <laughs> he is very, very tame and friendly. He is. So, Ari, this, this is like a really momentous occasion for me, and it is, I mean, it's, it is for you massively, isn't it? Because this year is 10 years since you took off around Wales. It wasn't just the Wales Coast Path, you took off around Wales. And rather than me introduce you and sort of like tell everybody what you did, I think I think I should actually pass over to you to kind of talk us through what inspired you to run Wales and yeah, how yeah, let's just let's talk about what inspired you to do it first. <laughs> Sheer stupidity. <laughs> no. A lot of people say that to me yeah. too. Well, yeah. Why is that? Yeah, two thousand and twelve it was the ridiculous idea to run well over a thousand miles, having not run any further than a half marathon before and even that I did slowly and for the goodie bag. Um, <laughs> Isn't it always for the goodie bag? Of course. Yeah. The balloon um, and the t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, I'm quite disappointed. I didn't actually get a goodie bag at the end of the round Wales run and uh, yeah, that's how I've only just realised that. But anyway, I'd lost both of my parents, careless of me, a couple of years earlier. And, um, yeah, so when I decided to do the run around Wales, it was for charity and it was in memory of them. So I did it for two charities. It was for Lindra Cancer Centre in South Wales and the Gozo Critical Care Unit Foundation, which is out in the Maltese Islands. And I had this idea, I just I wanted to raise that, that that's the little robin hey little robin that next one yeah. that was such a loud song <laughs> so he obviously approves with the fundraising as well yeah. yeah so i decided i wanted to raise a big wadge of cash but being a sort of like normal muggle human then it was quite hard to raise that amount of money so i decided i had to do something big and someone had just suggested to me it's someone that um, I worked with at the time Sue it's her fault had come up with this suggestion of me running the Wales Coast Path first of all and she sort of said it as half a joke I took it seriously I was like oh I'm gonna do that didn't even click to how long it was and then I saw that it linked up with the Offers Dyke Path now I grew up on the Offers Dyke Path so there was a certain poignancy about it so I decided then well that means that I could run the entire perimeter of Wales and before I knew it, I was researching it and decided, yeah, I'm going to try it. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> it was as simple as that. So did you, did you have any reservations about it did, or was it just a straight in there? Yeah, right. <laughs> How were you feeling about it? Weirdly, I actually didn't. And I don't think I would have got to the start line if I had. I had a very different mindset back then. And it's one that I'm only just starting to get back now of when I say that I'm going to do something I don't think about the fact that I might not I just try so when it came to the run-up to it <laughs> the run-up of it I'm so funny <laughs> yeah so when it came to like actually considering doing it then the focus of my mind was how to make it happen 
And that's mm. what I kept the focus on. And it actually got to the point that it was about a week before I set off to do it. And there'd been a lot of doubters that I'll probably go into a bit later, mm. but I was getting a bit of pushback, mainly support, but you always focus on the negative, don't you? Mm. So, um, and one of my friends said to me, with the kindest of hearts, he meant this, and he just said, just make sure that you know that if for any reason you don't manage to complete this, no one's going to think any less of you. And I literally snapped back and I was just like, no, you can't say that. I just said, I'm not even considering that as a possibility. I said, don't say that to me. And I refused to think of anything other than finishing it. There's quite a kind of quite a strong undertone in that comment. It's just a flippant comment, isn't it? And I'm sure he meant really well. But what was your reaction to that? How did you turn that on its head? I think because of the fact that it came from one of my closest friends and it's, it came from a friend that knows me so well in the sense that he knew that I was going to do it. It was just that he wanted to, I think, calm my nerves a little bit mm. because I'd had comments from people that I didn't know. And there was a situation, actually, after I'd done the run, I did quite a few motivational talks afterwards and spoiler alert I did complete it and um, yeah (laughs) so I did quite a lot of talks and there was a guy that had emailed me before I started and in that email he just said just so you know I think that it's irresponsible what you're trying to do I don't believe that you'll be trained enough to do it and basically went on this tirade about how he thought that I couldn't do it there was no other purpose to this email whatsoever it's a guy called Stuart and I kept hold of that email I didn't respond to him until I'd finished it. When I'd finished, I responded to him with an invitation to one of my talks and took his name and email address and everything out of it and I put it in the talk. And at every talk that I did after that, I invited him and I would put the email up and be like, Stuart in the audience, because he never actually turned up. So I still to this day don't know that he knows that I did finish it. But I was annoyed by that because it didn't matter who it came from, but what right has anyone got to say to someone, whether they know them or not, that something that they are aiming to do, they are not going to achieve? And in some ways, back then, that spurred me on. And I did get like a lot of comments that were quite flippant because I think the thing to remember as well is this was 2012. Ultra running wasn't as well known as it is these days it wasn't as popular as it is these days I struggled at the time to find advice and help because ultra runners weren't ten a penny and it was the idea of doing a big challenge like that solo was very much the exception Mm. and so yeah it's for some people the comments were meant meaningfully or almost as if to say are you sure you're not just a little bit (laughs) (laughs) I find it so hard to get my head around the fact that it was just just 10 years ago that ultra running wasn't such a big Mm. thing because now it's it's become so big as has through hiking or long distance walking Mm. or whatever you want to call it but yeah I find it really hard to think that that was just 10 years ago because 10 years is not a long time in the grand scheme of things Um, to me that says that we've come a long way and we've learned a lot in that time Mm. up to a point I know there have been a lot of things that perhaps we haven't learned from certainly the acceptance of anyone of any age shape size gender being able to be a runner Mm. 
yeah, those sorts of comments now, certainly if they were offered to you in the more public domain, they would be jumped upon, wouldn't they? Yeah. And torn apart. <laughs> yeah, it's it was a funny one because, I mean, back then, it was really strange because, I yes, I didn't look like what some people thought a stereotypical runner would look like. Mm. Now, don't get me wrong, I wasn't overweight. I was sort of a pretty bog-standard mm. person. And, yeah, I didn't look like Paula Radcliffe, but most people's idea at that time, certainly, like, I'm, when I say most people, I mean people that weren't into running or stuff like that. They saw distance running and they saw Paula Radcliffe mm. or they saw, like, just the people that they see on TV or the yeah. people that they see on the front of Runner's World magazine or stuff like that. The, like, models that actually probably weren't runners. <laughs> um, so they saw that and it was very much that imagery, the way that the imagery was put out. And the phrase that has actually haunted me for the past 10 years first came about when I was planning the run and it was, you don't look like a runner. And the majority of people that said that to me were middle-aged women. And that is the thing that still to this day gets to me. And it makes me a little bit sad because mm. it just makes me think, well, that's what it sort of felt like. It shouldn't have hurt so much because I knew that it was coming from ignorance mm. more than anything. But every single time it was said to me, it planted another little seed in of doubt in my brain. Mm. Not doubt that I'd complete the challenge, but doubt that I was worthy to complete the challenge. And I didn't focus on it at the time. It wasn't until after I'd finished the challenge that those seeds started germinating. And it's taken up until about the last 12 months for me to regain the confidence that was gradually being chipped away at mm. during that time. And it's just like, it's a silly thing, but it's now, if I hear someone say, oh, I don't look like a runner, or so-and-so doesn't look like a runner, I leap on and I go all evangelical about how anyone can be a runner, and it's just like I become really annoying. <laughs> but, <laughs> so, but that's, so you've come through like a process, you've come through this journey of dealing with I mean I, I noticed the word that you use you were haunted by it so yeah. it's really something that were, that had bedded itself really deeply in your mm. psyche and you've had to obviously find a way of dealing with that but in doing so now it sounds like you have come out the other side I don't know is it that you are now wanting to help other people understand and if so how would you do that how could you get other people to understand that you don't have to look like a runner yeah. because there is no look there is no look <laughs> but yeah how do you get that message across um, it's difficult because it was one of the things that when I finished the run I was very much when I was giving talks and things it was very much along that vein of look you can do these things and it was talking about the mindset and I've got background in behavioral psychology and I tried to sort of like put that to good use in this sense because I'm very much of the view of it doesn't matter how much of an academic background you might have until you've put it into practice in the real world then it's not worth a lot no. and so that's what I focused on doing and so for example I went down to the Duke of Edinburgh Awards to go and uh, present the gold awards it was absolute blinking honour to be invited I actually thought they put the wrong name on the thing but anyway I went I didn't get kicked out so uh, <laughs> I, mean, oh, I know I've still got a bit of the palace carpet stuck on my shoe as well but <laughs> I probably shouldn't have admitted to that but when I went my sole intention was to make sure that these 
kids that had come through that process and had achieved their gold award which I've got a sketchy history in my own Duke of Edinburgh awards I did not get gold and but when I did that I was very open about that before I went down as well and I spoke to a lot of the kids there and said look you've achieved something that I definitely didn't have about me at the time to go through with it and just wanted to make sure that they're going into a world where if they want to do something strive and do it if you fall get back up again keep trying keep trying keep trying and I know that's very easy to say but it's easier to say now that I have done something that I was so passionate about and don't get me wrong that last 10 years where I have had those doubts and where my confidence has been knocked I have for want of a better word failed Mm. at far more things than like ridiculous amount of things the amount of ultra marathons that I've entered since that race and I've not got past the 26 mile mark because I've either run out of cake or I've gone and injured myself or I was just too knackered or I just couldn't be bothered and I'm like what has happened to my brain that was so strong so that's what I've been like trying to build up and like now I just I'm back at the phase where I want to say to people look you can do it but yes at the same time it's okay to not have your confidence but you can get it back Mm. so I'm hoping that I've come full circle it sounds it sounds like you have have you had messages from people on the flip side because you've obviously Mm. had a a few that were non-supportive have you had emails or letters of support yeah or people that have said that they were inspired by what you did yeah I think this is the thing because you always focus on the negative and I think I've spent so long focusing on the negative that I need to look at the positive because I have to say that the overwhelming support both at the time before the run during the run after the run I mean I'd always get very embarrassed if people would tell me that I'd inspired them or they'd tell me they'd say something like oh my god what you did was amazing it would make me sort of shrivel a little bit and feel not worthy so I'd like feel really awkward about it but equally there are people that I've either become friends with since or have been friends with in the past that to watch them achieve things and to have been able to have a role in helping their mental strength to build up so that they could go put the work in to do it because they've achieved it that's their achievement they may have been inspired in the sense of something planted a seed in their brain but that's their achievement so yeah and that's such a reward for you to experience somebody else achieving their Everest whatever that Mm. is as a result of thinking, well, if Ari can do it, so can I. Yeah. Uh, or just through, you know, your support of saying, come on, you've got this, you can do this. I think it's amazing. <laughs> it's always nice, I think, because there's so many people that I've seen do things that I've been lucky enough to meet in real life, some of which I've become good friends with in real life. And I sort of just look at them and I just think when I think about what their achievements make me feel, to even have had the tiniest bit of that motivation for someone would, I could die happy. But yeah, I think like my first interview when I finished the run was with Lori Morgan. And I was, not going to lie, I was terrified because I was told that Lori was going to be interviewing me 
in my mind, she was just like, and well, to be honest, anyone's mind that yes, knows me her, <laughs> flip an icon. Yeah. I was just like, oh my God, I can't be interviewed by Laurie. I was like, I'm not worthy. Yeah. And my friend said to me, what do you mean you're not worthy? You've just run around an entire flipping country. <laughs> and it still didn't feel it. But I'd had a lot of interviews, some good, some bad. And when I met Laurie, she instantly put me at ease like in the most ridiculously good way it was by far one of the best interviews I'd ever had in the sense of how it made me feel how it came across she's an incredible interviewer and anyway we had a chat afterwards and she said to me oh um, we should go running together I burst out laughing I was like are you serious <laughs> I was like you're like run the Amazon woman you're just yeah, like yeah. you do everything you're hard as nails I'm really not and uh, she she said it and you know how sometimes you think people say things and they don't really mean it she meant it we went running around Cardiff several times. Did you? Yeah. Oh, how and she's got the patience of the saint. She's hilariously funny and just an absolute gem. Love her to pieces. And just seriously, if anyone's not come across her before, look her up, read her book, yeah. listen to her speak when she's interviewed and watch TV when she's presenting. Because I'm proper fangirling now, aren't I? But anyway, <laughs> she's my mate. Well, so. I'm proud, proud to be her. Yeah. Mate. yeah, that is wonderful. And when you have somebody like that that has been your inspiration, mm. and then you suddenly realise how down to earth they are yeah. and how human they are, you suddenly think, oh, actually, yes, everybody, even like those A-lister celebrities, they're just they're just like you and me. Yeah. You know, they they do all the normal functions that we do. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to mention them yeah. on the pod, but yeah, yeah. Oh well so let's go back to the Wales Coast Pub and so it is the tenth anniversary. We've actually just had <laughs> an amazing morning. We were invited to go and walk along the cliff tops at Plantwick Major and walk along the beach and I thought it was going to be an interview <laughs> and, and it actually ended up being more of a, a chit chat between Ari and Zoe and, and that it felt so much more natural didn't it we were sort of more reminiscing about our experiences on the path and I'm sure well the cameraman and the presenter I, I guess he's would you call Hamish a presenter yes, yes, I, think, presenter. yes. I think they've probably got way more content than they thought they were going to get <laughs> from Ari and Zoe because we, we came up with some gems. But yeah, so we talked about when you started the Coast Path, which was in March 2012. Yeah. How many days did that take you? <laughs> That's a funny thing. So I had planned for 42 days for the entire perimeter of Wales. And I'm not the best at maths. So <laughs> I'd planned it and I'd sorted my mileage out. And in that, I'd got in my head that I'd given myself some rest days. <laughs> and so I got to day six, I think it was. And that's when I was a little bit injured and realising that I was going to have to take one of those rest days. And it was only when I calculated it that I realised that I'd completely miscalculated it and I didn't have any rest days at all. Um, <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, I've known you 10 years and I never knew that. Yeah, and it actually worked out that I did the whole perimeter of Wales to get back because I was committed to get back for the opening of the coast path. So that was my date that I had to get 
back by. And I did it in 39 days. And the final mile was my 40th day because I had to basically do the final mile for the opening of the coast path. So had I been going for a speed record, then I probably wouldn't have said that because I'd be like oh no I've got to finish my final mile but actually I've added an extra day on it purely for the love of the coast path there so it turned out to be the equivalent of 40 marathons in 40 days wow that is epic (laughs) I hope that after 10 years that you realize that now that that is epic yeah and there's not a lot of people that can say they have either done that or would even want to do that they would perhaps want to do a challenge but yeah maybe that one isn't one that they feel that they could cope with I mean I know I couldn't I struggled I didn't quite get to a half marathon distance so to do 40 marathons in 40 days is incredible never say never never say never (laughs) is yeah for me it was down to injury just not never quite managing an injury correctly and you know perhaps with a good physio or sports sports What's the best? That's the one. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, yeah. but yeah, never. One day. Never say never. I get that. No. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, what in the planning stages and what difficulties did you have, and how long did it take you with the planning? Um. So the planning was so much harder than I thought it was going to be. Mm. I'd actually say the planning was harder than doing the challenge. I was starting it around the time of sport relief, and it turned out that it's eye-opening because you see a lot of situations where like fair play to celebrities for giving their time and their following and everything to raise squillions of pounds for things but a sport relief or a comic relief challenge as epic as it is is very different to a non-celebrity doing something by themselves Mm. the logistics that goes into it is crazy the fundraising alongside it And you're also doing the challenge without the support of a coach, a nutritionist, a physio or anyone on hand. Or most importantly, you don't get a phone call on a really bad, tough day to tell you that you've just managed to raise £2 million to give you that boost. Yeah. Oh, gosh, that would be such a boost. Exactly. And I think that's something that you should never underestimate. So I always think if like someone that's in your village and your town, whatever is doing something like that, drop them a fiver, just drop them something like, because that is going to be so much harder. The, yeah, organizing it was, like I said, my maths wasn't great. So I just, in the end had to just focus on that like final date. Um, Thankfully my now husband, um, he, drove the dragon wagon whilst I was doing it and he would meet me at the end of each day he was an absolute legend first of all I wouldn't have realized my miscalculation if it wasn't for him strong words were said (laughs) both Um, (laughs) what he called me that day I've pretty much changed my name by default to so um, yeah so he supported me for the first three weeks and then he had to go back to work and my brother and one of my oldest friends Eva joined to drive the dragon wagon for the next couple of weeks before Andy could get back and Eva brought with her the entire contents of her fancy dress box and she would meet me at random locations dressed up in God knows what. She was a six foot elf when we uh, went through Carnarvon 
there was one day that I got a text message from my brother and he just said, we'll be meeting you at the cafe. I think it was by Whistling Sands. And he said, and Eva's dressed like Joss Stone's auntie. <laughs> what does Joss Stone's auntie well, look like? <laughs> I, I don't know what he's got against Joss Stone, but <laughs> Joss Stone's auntie was in leopard print with 70s glasses. I think there was a feather boa in there or something. Oh, was, wow. But yeah, so she was, uh, she was pivotal <laughs> in um, keeping me smiling. Did she make you wear any of the fancy dress at any point? I don't... Oh, yeah, there was one time that she came dressed as a pirate. And I think there's a photo somewhere of us having a um, pirate fight on a beach yeah. with a little cutlass and everything. So that was probably the closest that she got. Normally, I'm like, I'm all there for the fancy dress. But I have got a cracking photo of her trying to detangle a sheep from a um, hawthorn bush. And she's wearing a grass skirt. <laughs> as, so, yeah, it's... As you do. <laughs> yeah. So it's... It was support like that that really meant that I could do it. I also had some of my friends would meet me on certain days. There was a beautiful, beautiful day on Offers Dyke where I was, even though I was technically on the home run at that point, mentally I was feeling battered. Andy had come up to meet me again and he said, oh, we'll go. I was staying at my sister's house. And so him and my friends, Becca and Gareth, had come up and they were brilliant, like joining me for different sections as well. And uh, we drove up to the start point and I could see them whispering and I couldn't work out why they were whispering. And I looked around and all of my uni housemates had turned up from Kent, Birmingham, Plymouth. And they were stood there, three of them in kit and just said, we're joining you today. I I do you know what I couldn't believe it it was like one of my friends Gemma bless her she was there she was there with a sat nav on a little like cushion holding it up to try and get reception to work out where we were going oh, so <laughs> I was funny. like that's so town yes. <laughs> yeah. it's moments like those that when you're in the deepest depths of I can't do this anymore that that yeah. just lifts you doesn't it oh completely oh yeah, so it was, I mean, it's it's one of those things that, yeah, the logistics were what they were. I had the support of friends was just outstanding. Fundraising-wise as well, people fundraising on my behalf was just brilliant. When I said about the call that they get, obviously, on Sport Relief, my mini moment of that was when I was on Anglesey and... One of my friend's girlfriends worked at the time with something that was linked to Go Compare. I think it was Go Compare anyway. Yeah, it was, because I'm sure that's the theme tune that I was singing all flipping day. And, um, <laughs> and I got up in the morning. It was a bit of a dreary day, but I was on Anglesey, so I was happy for most of Anglesey. Yeah. It was amazing. A thing came through on Just Giving that I'd had a donation of, I think it was £1,000 from them. And the biggest boost ever that day I was just like it was my biggest lump sum donation and I had the theme tune of the advert going in my head all day and I was just like yeah, I'm like they can be the sponsors of this day I was yeah. like I suddenly <laughs> like felt like I was doing something that was really worthwhile but the other thing was like people that had heard about the run that saw me along the way would drop me a fiver or something like that and every single time that happened it was like a little rocket boost and I'd feel like Sonic the Hedgehog like jumping around catching rings and stuff so yeah. that's more of an insight into my brain <laughs> <laughs> but, oh no but that kept you going that kept yeah. you going for 
well, best part of a week, I would have think, having, oh, having God, a, yeah. a donation like that. <laughs> yeah. I know, I would be buzzing. Yeah. Wow. So, nutrition-wise, so you, you <laughs> talked about the logistics of it and how difficult mm. it was. How did you organise the nutrition? Because obviously, you can't just feed yourself your normal stuff when you're running and burning that amount mm. of calories. How did you handle that? What was your technique or strategy? In a phrase, I handled it badly. Um, and I, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm one of those people that like I've got all of the knowledge in that field, but when it comes to practicing it, I'm terrible. I developed a taste for scotch pancakes. So <laughs> it was very much a case of if I couldn't stomach anything else, it would be scotch pancakes and Nutella and peanut butter sandwiches. And still to this day, if I was going to tackle any long distance run, that's my go-to. So yeah, it wasn't a textbook approach. It was very much a case of if I was starting to feel like I was incredibly grumpy or feel like I couldn't finish a day, then nine times out of 10, it was because I needed food. And so then it was just a case of whatever I could find to put in. Did have um, things like sort of like bits of chicken and stuff like that to try and get some good protein in so yeah people that like oh shout out to anyone who had me and my stinky trainers stay in their house (laughs) as well because I'd say the support for that was fantastic and people were brilliant and I'd get there and nine times out of ten they'd cook pasta and do you know what it was exactly what I wanted yeah. and it wasn't necessarily for the nutrition value it was just the fact that I found that by the end of the day I was craving pasta yeah and yeah people were just so kind with that and my friend Karen in Aberystwyth went to stay with her and thankfully I was staying with her after my absolute worst day of the entire run I was in pieces like shadow of my former self there was snot and tears everywhere turn up on Karen's doorstep and not only has she made me an ice bath complete with rubber ducks but (laughs) she had cooked the most banging lasagna I have ever eaten in my life so yeah (laughs) oh yeah she definitely deserved (laughs) yeah hero (laughs) so ice baths that helps with muscles do you know what? at the time there's i mean research changes over the years yeah. as it does for me that worked for me it, did, it yeah. really did it was something that i was used to doing myself anyway so a lot of the time if i was staying at someone's house and they'd ask like if there was anything in particular that i wanted it was always a bag of ice mm. and chuck that in a bath and then I was fine top tip for an ice bath as well keep your socks on if you keep your socks on you can stay in it for a lot longer is it I didn't know that well yeah so there's various photos that were taken of me sitting clothed in an ice bath with my socks on but yeah I found that that worked for me particularly the early week about a week and week and a half it was during a heat wave and I hadn't planned for a heat wave so I Mm. ended up very burnt Slip, slap, slap. Yes. (laughs) Wear sunscreen, kids. So, yeah, I ended up very burnt and very hot, very everything else. But, yeah, ice baths were Mm. my happy place. Did you struggle with any injuries? Yes. Day three, I actually got my most catastrophic injury or could have been catastrophic injury. What happened? I decided stupidly that I was going to do the entire Gower in one day, which was 36. 
32, 36 miles, I think it was. So, which was just irresponsible that early in the run. But it was a hot day and I'd planned to do it. So, set out to do it and the day started brilliantly, with the exception of a cliff fall instant. <laughs> You're going to have to elaborate on that now. You know that. <laughs> you can't just drop one like that in there, Ari. It was fairly early on. I yeah. was a little bit gung-ho. Saw a footpath close sign because there'd been a bit of a landslip. I decided that I could get across the field because the diversion was ridiculous length diversion. I decided I could hop over a fence, stay as inland as possible and then hop over the other side. The other side of the path didn't exist because it had fallen into the sea as did I. No, I didn't quite get no, no. into the sea. <laughs> I uh, I went over the fence. Um, thankfully, I caught myself on a little bit of a ledge. It wasn't a hugely tall cliff, but I still would have done myself a mischief had I gone all the way down. And I sort of scrambled my way up, then felt like an absolute ninja for the fact that I'd survived it. Run, Mr. Harry. <laughs> and I was like, you're not going to believe this. I've fallen off a cliff and I've survived. I'm amazing. And he was just like, you twat. <laughs> yes. He said, stop being an idiot. Put your bag on and keep running. <laughs> so um, <laughs> that told me. <laughs> yeah, so I did. And that taught me to follow the signs when they tell you to divert divert and when they say there's a cliff fall there really has been a cliff fall but yeah so anyway that day was going really well that wasn't the point where I got injured I carried on I met a lady who was 85 years old she walked eight miles every single day she was fit as a fiddle and she was walking faster than I was running Um, so she was chatting away and then whilst she was chatting away to me I twisted my knee I slipped on something and twisted my knee and there was this almighty clunk (gasps) And I was like, oh, my God. I rung Mr. Harry and said, is there any chance you can meet me in Rosalie Bay car park? Mm. I need the first aid kit and just see what's going on here. Um, So he did. He turned up and I sort of looked at it and it had swollen a bit. But I was like, oh, if I strap this up, pop some painkillers. I can keep going so I did keep going and did a lot of mind over matter it was clunky but it wasn't completely given away or anything by the time I finished the day it was a lot bigger than it had been before Mm. and it was clunky at the time I was still like I was running a sports therapy business so I, (laughs) I kind of knew what I was doing with it and I think that I'd done a bit of a tear in the cartilage Mm. so the next few days I had to take really easy and I was a mixture of walking with the odd jog I had like walking poles there I'd put crutches in the car at the start because I decided that if I injured myself I was finishing no matter what with the so you, you were planned oh, like gotcha. to the nth degree there. there was no way I wasn't going to finish it yeah so yeah I carried on I was grateful for the amount of painkillers that I'd taken with me again not responsible don't do it just yeah sheer disgusting mentality and wow. uh, how long how long did that take to heal then because a tear even if it's a mm-hmm. minor tear of a cartilage or a ligament can take weeks normally can One of the things that I think was in my favour was that I had focused so much on strengthening around my knee joints Mm. because I knew if anything was going to go, it was going to be my knees. Mm. And I had built almost a brace of muscle around my knees Mm. that I think basically saved me with it. There was a lot of taping up. There were 
painkiller patches and all sorts of things involved. So, yeah, there are various pictures of me looking like a mummy because I'm strapped up that much. But it kind of did ease itself. I think it was it was only minor, but, I yeah, I'd put enough contingency in place to... And it was possibly just... It was at that time where you just needed a little reminder, maybe mm. to take it easy and don't go in too yeah. too hard too soon. Stop being a twat in the words of Mr. <laughs> in the words of Mr. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that on here? Sorry, you yeah. have. Yeah, I have done. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, we're coming towards the end of our conversation, Ari. But there's a, a couple of things I guess I want to know. What impact? I think that's the biggest thing. What impact has? running the Wales Coast Path had on your life. You have talked a bit about the psychological impact it it had on you, but that was not necessarily the path that had come from other people Mm. and was, you know, the way you received it and the way they delivered it to you. But the path itself, what impact do you think that's had on you? Do you know, I, I always say that one of the best things about having done the whole Wales Coast Path and Office Dyke, but obviously it's Wales Coast Path's birthday, so we'll focus yes, on that. Yes, yes. Um, is the fact that I've now seen every beach in Wales and every little place in Wales. I've seen the contrast between places. I've grown to love power stations in a really weird way. And it's just because I love the difference and I love the contrast between being out on the cliffs surrounded by this beautiful scenery like one moment and then the next minute you've just got this huge imposing industry in front of you and I kind of like use them as landmarks so I think I've developed a sort of real appreciation for what's effectively on my doorstep and also it's from a running perspective, I have no fear of terrain. So there's a lot of times that you'll see running routes or races or stuff like that. And people will always be like, oh, what trainers shall I wear? Because, oh, what's the terrain and all this? Yeah. Completely understandable. And I like I have to remember that for people that haven't done something like this, that is actually a very significant mm-hmm. thing to realise. Whereas for me... I've now got that appreciation of I can overcome whatever terrain's put in front of me. I'm not scared of hills. In fact, hills are my favourite thing to run now. They were certainly the least painful thing. I hate running on flat and I don't like running downhill as much, but give me a hill and I really enjoy it because the achievement you get at the top, but also I've mastered the art of doing it. So I may not be like super fast, but I can get to the top and have a conversation. I'm quite proud of that. So so yeah, there's that sort of appreciation. I've been able to go back to my favourite spots. I've been able to go to the spots that I was gutted at the time that I couldn't stop to spend more time in the kindness of the people that live along the Wales oh, coast path oh my god I don't know whether it's like a requirement for when people buy houses there or grow up there but they tend to be really nice yes, so either that, that or all the meanies stayed behind closed doors and in yeah. which case if you mean stay behind your closed door <laughs> <laughs> yeah I know I totally get that I, I saw and experience the kindness of so many people around Wales and yeah they just leave a beautiful trace 
yeah. across your memory and in your heart. And yeah, I just have a, a yeah. big happy place for them in my heart. The pride as well. There was so much, particularly, I think, because it was when the path opened, and I think it's still to this day, the sheer pride of having that path yeah. on people's doorsteps. Yeah. Like people were waxing lyrical saying, oh, do you know that like you can carry on all the way around Wales? There was one man actually that hadn't realised and when he asked me what I was doing and I said, oh, I'm running the perimeter of Wales, he was like, well, how are you doing that then? I said, I'm running on this path and I'm keeping going. And he was like, you what? And then I explained to him what the Wales Coast Path was and how it linked up and his face just was an absolute picture and I really hope that he's gone out and like oh, done it now <laughs> yeah yeah so as from that aspect it was just the sheer variety of it yeah. and just Wales is I am biased but Wales is just an incredible country definitely wow so it's 1047 miles all the way around yeah including Office Dyke Wales Coast Path is 870 miles. Did you go on to do anything else in those 10 years since? Anything that could be considered as big or just as challenging? Maybe not as big as in terms of like mm. length, but anything as challenging? Challenges are really sort of like, yeah, difficult one to... Uh give a definition to but I, I've done challenges since like I've mentioned before I've also crashed out of challenges quite considerably I've not done anything to that scale I did a cycle from north to south Wales a few years ago with a great group of people from my former gym that's not far from where we're sitting today actually and that was again for Valindra Cancer Centre but also for another charity for a little boy called Jacks. And so we did that. And that was a huge challenge for me because anyone that knows me knows my hatred of my road bike. And on that particular trip, my road bike actually did try killing me, which <laughs> was this. nice. I saw this on social media. Yeah. You have to, I know I've said we're coming to the end, yeah. but you have to describe this. Oh my God. So I was obviously like with a group of people, everyone's really fired up to do this challenge. So I had to kind of hide the trauma that was involved with this. But there's a very steep downhill section when you come out of Dog Fi and you sort of like carry on from there. And there's a road that is a very, I'm not sure what the decline is. But um, anyway, I was terrified of downhills. I knew that the brakes on my bike weren't great, but I didn't realise that they were completely blooming useless. <laughs> so we set off and I got into my head that it's okay, I can just like feather my brakes going down or something like that. Anyway, we started going and I put my brakes on and they did absolutely nothing. And I was like, oh my God, only I obviously didn't say God, I said something else that I probably can't put out on this <laughs> podcast. I went past someone else in the group who just heard my scream whiz past her and then I lost control of my bike and it started wobbling. Now, I didn't know at the time that the terminology for this is a speed wobble. I've since found out a lot more information about it, lost control about it. And I actually thought that I was going to come off. I had no way of slowing down. I was like increasing speed and I could see a lorry in front of me that had mm. stopped at the bottom of this hill and I couldn't work out how I was going to get past it. 
I don't know how I got past it. I think at that point I actually had, I had probably my most charitable thought ever where I was just thinking, oh my God, if I come off my bike, I'm probably going to die. So I was working out which wrist had my like charity band on because I thought, well, at least if I do, then they might raise a lot more money. (laughs) things that go through your head in these moments it's crazy and then I was thinking should I aim for the grass should I aim for the road what should I do and it's really weird the sort of stuff that I think it was weird monitoring the stuff that was going through my head because I've got a really odd brain but anyway somehow I got past that lorry eventually I slowed down I realized that I'd actually stopped my bike wobbling by coming off my saddle and squeezing my thighs I later on uh, went on a bike ride with another total icon, Emily Chapel. I knew you were going to say Emily. Read her books, flipping legend. Wonderful. Also my Amazing. mate. But anyway, um, she, I finally gave in and went on a bike ride with her. And it wasn't that long after I'd done that challenge. I was still very nervous and still sort of like, I, I mean, I checked my Strava later on and I'd hit 42 miles an hour, I think it was. Yeah. On your bike. On my bike. Oh my god. Out of control. I had to harness what I was feeling because people were fired up. Other people weren't experienced cyclists like I wasn't. Didn't want to put a dampener on things and at the same time didn't want to talk myself out of carrying on. But it meant that I didn't want to get on my bike again afterwards. But I did. I went with Emily. Emily explained everything to me and basically just said, look this is what you do in that situation it sounds like you automatically did it and she kind of like justified the fact that yeah I did have the right to be scared for it so and that's actually sort of helped me so I've got shot of my road bike bought a gravel bike and I'm never getting on my road bike again (laughs) so so you squeeze your you got off the saddle squeeze your thighs together squeeze my thighs together against the frame and oh right yeah and it uh, held and you're meant to loosen your grip as well Mm. that wasn't happening (laughs) I can't imagine yeah but it was um it was good because then a few years later I did or a couple of years later was it last year I think it was a friend of mine Simon and I then I took my new gravel bike and we went and started doing the Transcambrian way the weather went totally against us so we decided sod it we're just going to do like east to west Wales any which way or another we called it the Transcambrian one way or another and uh, we (laughs) went from (laughs) Knighton to Aberystwyth on a really weird wiggly route that went up sort of like uphills through forests and all that sort of stuff and it was freaking amazing (laughs) so yeah so you haven't lost that experience on the road bike hasn't taken you out of your comfort zone so much that it's no. taken you away from cycling no good I am so pleased to yeah hear that. so pleased to hear that yeah but those are sort of like the challenging things that I've done since but yeah. I've just in the last 12 months found my love for running again because good. I did lose it I did stop I did take up roller derby in the meantime that's amazing it's still going on and that's um, challenging that's challenging too yeah yeah I've seen the bruises (laughs) (laughs) yeah definitely but it's like roll derby saved my soul you hear that a lot in the roll derby world and it actually has but yeah so so. what's happening next so next is another run I've found the love for it again I've been helping get a few other people back into running 
and my friend Simon that I did the Transcambrian one way or another with, he also has decided he wants to run an ultra distance before he's 40 and he's 40 later this year. And how old are you, Ari? I'm, well, do we count COVID years? You can if you want to. I'm 41. Okay. (laughs) But but yeah, so we're going to run Hadrian's Wall. Yes, 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 yes. That's amazing. (laughs) Oh, that's going to be so exciting. Yeah. So it's a, yeah, it's another border. It should be fun because we always have fun and there's going to be cake involved. So there's, if you you can't do a run or an ultra or anything like that unless cake's involved. But but this time you've got to plan to have more cake involved. Oh, yeah. Because previously you didn't have enough cake. No, no, I didn't. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Well, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. Ari, you are a trailblazer. Thank you. You you opened the Wales Coast Path this time 10 years ago. In fact, by the time this episode goes out, I'm hoping it will be released on the the 5th of May. So it will be exactly 10 years to the day. And I am proud to be able to call you my friend and... Yes, and yeah, I'm happy that I met you through it. Yes, yes, and it's... then you went on and did your own. Oh, yes, it just—it oh. seems like such a long time ago now. But I think so much has happened for both of us in that yeah. ten years. And yes, I think we've got a lot to thank the Wells Coast Path for. But thank you so much for this. This has been an absolute honour, and I hope that everybody will just hear and feel your passion and your enthusiasm for what you've done because yeah Ari just she just exudes enthusiasm (laughs) it's it's amazing oh thank you Ari Kane thank you so much (laughs) for doing this with us it's it's been wonderful thank you Zoe (laughs) as the first person to complete the Wales Coast Path and the first to complete the full perimeter of Wales on foot despite once being considered an unlikely adventure Ari is indeed a trailblazer. I always love chatting to Ari because she's one of those amazing people who can just relate a personal story, anecdote, funny memory to almost any situation. But what Ari didn't relay to us is that in running 1,027 miles around the entire perimeter of Wales back in 2012, she raised over £13,000 for Valindra Cancer Centre and the Gozo Critical Care Unit Foundation. And yet, prior to the Wales Coast Path Challenge, Ari had never run further than a half marathon. And she had an appalling sense of direction. And she tells me that's still the case. <laughs> I didn't ask Ari about her head right out moment, which is what I normally ask all of my guests. But she said afterwards in an email that it was definitely the Dragon Run 1027. It's called Dragon Run 1027. And as you'll have heard, she's had plenty more head right out moments since too. If you'd like to follow or connect with Ari. She's at Ari Kane, that's C-A-I-N, on Insta and Twitter. So Ari Kane, A-R-R-Y-C-A-I-N. And her Facebook page is Dragon Run 1027, 1027. There's also a website and blog, which I'll put the link up for in the show notes. If you search Dragon Run 1027 on Google, however, it'll be the top entry. And you might also find Ari in some of those searches as Ari Beresford Webb. Don't be confused. That was her maiden name. 
Now you'll also discover Ari in her other shoes at ariillustration.com. She is an incredible illustrator and well, let's just say that some very cute and friendly dragons have continued to feature in her life and work. Dragons, I wonder where the inspiration for that came from. (laughs) So that's all from me today. If you've enjoyed this episode of Head Right Out, please go back and listen to the previous conversations and share them with a friend. Word of mouth is by far the best form of helping the podcast to grow. Happy 10th anniversary to Wales Coast Path. Congratulations to Ari on your 10th anniversary of running the Wales Coast Path and running the perimeter of Wales. And Head Right Out hugs to you all.